There so we go. Zoomers can now hear. Hi, everybody on Zoom. Um, my name is Doug, and I am an alcoholic. I just wanted to do that to mess with the people on Zoom because they thought I had for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, when, I, when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I thought Alcoholics Anonymous um, was a place that was um, going to separate me from um, drinking too much because I couldn't control my drinking. Um, I, <clears throat> as far back as I can remember, um, I always felt uncomfortable. Um, I felt uncomfortable, um, I felt uncomfortable being African-American. Um, I felt uncomfortable in my neighborhood where I grew up that was, I describe it as critically white. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I used to uh, sit on the roof of my family home and look up in the sky and wonder when the beings that dropped me off are going to come back and get me because I just didn't feel like I fit in here. Didn't feel like I fit in. Uh, I was never big enough. My family, my siblings were honor students and athletes, and I was not so much. I went to an all-white uh, junior high school. And, uh, and my brothers were all on the basketball team and the coach was like, hey, you got, your brothers did well with the basketball team. I know you're gonna try out for basketball. You gotta come out. I'm like, no, he's like, come on, you gotta do it. So I came out to try out for basketball and uh, he stopped me and took the ball out of my hand and goes, this isn't really what you do. <laughs> uh, um, there was always something I wanted to say and I can never get up the nerve to say it. And the more that I kept that in, the more ashamed I was for having feelings that I felt wouldn't be accepted. And, um, and I started to wear that like a wardrobe every day. You know, before I put on my clothes, I would be cloaked in a little shame, um, a little not enoughness, um, feeling guilty for stuff I didn't even do. I could have done it. <laughs> I just had that shadowing me all my life. <clears throat> I had no idea that that was the fertile ground for being an alcoholic. <clears throat> Alcohol was like my treatment for those feelings. And um, I didn't know this uh, until years later, but the very first time I drank, I blacked out. And I learned later that only alcoholics like black out. <laughs> Well, that was someone who would have told me day two. My last debauch, I, um, I had a series of bad luck. I, <laughs> I had had a, a slip and fall. I had driven my car into an open trench. Um, I, had, um, I had been beaten in a racially motivated assault. And, um, and I remember I had this one attorney and I would call him each incident that happened and say, we've got to go after these people, you know, because I had a lot of bad guys in my life. <clears throat> I had a lot of reasons for um, my disturbance inside. And um, <laughs> so when I wrecked my car, I got a rent a car 
and uh, which was really poor judgment on their day, on their part, you know. And um, and I had a blackout, and I left my car in the uh, the left hand, like you know, shoulder on the left hand side of the freeway, the fast lane. And I got out of my car, and uh, and I was wearing one sock, and it was on my foot. And I proceeded to walk off of the freeway wearing one sock only. <laughs> and I remember on my, I didn't, you know, and then after I'd been walking for a while, it dawned on me that I had, a, I had a, I had a car somewhere. <laughs> my clothes were probably in it, and I had no idea where it was. And, um, I remember stopping into a subway. And then I asked the lady to make me a sandwich. <laughs> Wait a minute. And she proceeded to make a sandwich. And um, and I had no means of paying for it. And like like she didn't hadn't like, where did you think I had a wallet? <laughs> I got one sock. And there's no gold in the sock. I have no wallet. And then she asked me to leave. And, and I left. I, I remember passing by some police officers and them just kind of looking away like, oh, hell no, we're not in <laughs> Too much, too much. <laughs> I, I came by, I was walking by a motel in Santa Ana when a guy was like, hey, come here. <laughs> and he gave me a bath towel. <laughs> and, um, so I had something to put on, and um, and he allowed me to call a friend of mine, and um, and I remember sitting on the sidewalk in front of that motel, waiting on my friend to come pick me up, and a bath towel and a sock, and um, and this guy was a former like we were going to go into a business together, which as of that day was over. <laughs> And it kind of dawned on me that I had um, a lot more going on with me than just drinking. Uh, you know, the book of Alcoholics Anonymous states that the mental state that precedes the drink is the crux of the problem. And it wasn't just my feelings. Uh, it was a lot of false beliefs I had that was creating those feelings that I never got around to because I'd been to Alcoholics Anonymous before and uh, and I was in and out a lot. And I can remember raising my hand for so long. I used to think that the format would say, is there anybody here with less than 30 days aside from Doug? <laughs> and then I would never leave, I, I would leave the meeting, but never leave my chair. I would sit in the meeting and think about what people were thinking about me and, and judging myself and going back into all those things that create that shame, that separation. And, uh, and that guilt, <clears throat> I, um, I, I was very fortunate, excuse me, I was very fortunate to, um, the only thing I realized I had going for me when I was talking to a gentleman, I kind of fell into his hands. Uh, he, um, I was listening to um, a speaker tape that I happened upon quite accidentally, because, um, I was out of money, 
and uh, I never had a hustle. <laughs> I had money that I would make and it was gone. I had no hustle. I had no street game whatsoever. And, um, but I was still looking for something that would make me feel different. And, um, and so I went to, I went to log in on a porn site and um, an AA speaker tape came up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was looking for like blacks and blondes. And like, the message wasn't what I was expecting. And this guy, um, his name was Chris R. He was from Texas and he was telling the story about being in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous and wanting to kill himself and all these things that I had experienced. And, feeling crazy and just feeling like even when he was not drinking, he felt like he was doing time and just seems to describe what was going on. I wanted to be sober, <clears throat> but the pain of sobriety um, was so intense because I would be acutely aware of all the things that were going on inside my head that just made me a madman. And, um, and how much I continually looked outside myself for something to make me feel good. You know, um, if it wasn't money, it would be sex, it would be drugs, alcohol, everything outside myself. And he shared about that. And, uh, and I never met him and I, I just felt like I could connect with him. So I, I, I Googled him and I found that he had a Facebook thing. So I sent him a message on Messenger and he, uh, he responded back to me. He called me. And he told me he was connecting planes and he said, um, I'm gonna get where I'm going in about two and a half hours. Can you stay right where you're at? And I'll call you back. And um, he, um, if he would have suggested that I went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't think I'd be here today. <clears throat> what he insisted is that we started learning what alcoholism was and how I'm bodily and I'm mentally different and start doing the step process. <clears throat> and I'm really grateful um, because the only thing I had going for me at that point, even though I'd been to a lot of meetings, is that I'd never really done the 12 steps of alcoholics times. And, um, and we started taking the journey through the steps. Um, stopping drinking is a great place to, um, to be, to for me to start realizing that there's some other stuff going on with me aside from alcohol. There's a whole inner condition, and I say condition because I've been conditioned by a bunch of bad information that I've had. And um, the inventory process starts bringing some of that stuff out, letting me know that um, it's not other people. It's not conditions, it's not hard facts, it's not circumstances, it's what's going on inside of me. I found some really interesting things in the book that seemed to, to give me relief, even though I've heard a lot of things a lot of times, you know, in meetings. And um, But one was the spiritual, or the appendix two, when it talked about an unsuspected inner resource that kind of stood out to me. It, uh, it let me know that, um, that this power I was looking for wasn't really far away from me, um, that this power I was looking for was a part of me, if it's inside of me, that it's a part of me, 
And um, um, when I would be praying and like thinking of a God and thinking of something separate from me, I would be doing the same thing I was doing with alcoholism, looking for something outside myself to make me better, <clears throat> to make me well. And, uh, and that was relieving to me because I never, I was raised um, in a very fundamental Christian, I, I was raised Pentecostal and um, the music was great, but there was a lot of other crazy shit. <laughs> it was like a scene from the Blues Brothers, if you've never seen that movie. People would be jumping and doing acrobatics and, and then speaking in tongues, you know. I remember once going to this revival and they said, you got to speak in tongues. That's when you know the spirit is in you, you know. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. They could make something up. I'm like, a, somebody untied my bow tie stole a Hyundai. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and I never felt like I fit in. And I always felt like this that this power was somehow encrypted or wasn't accessible to me, like I needed to know something that I wasn't getting. And when I read that it's inside of me, it seemed to be like, well, that's the last place I would expect, you know, this power to be. Because I judged myself so much. And what I judged myself for was not even, wasn't valid, because I couldn't validate some of the stuff that I thought, you know. Um, I couldn't validate how I felt. I thought like I was ugly as a kid. Um, I felt like I was not enough. And no one ever really told me that. I mean, there were occasions where people would insult me, but no one ever told me that. And I had nothing to base that on. But I made that decision. And, uh, and it seemed like my life kind of fell in line with those decisions that I made. Um, and, um, and when I read that, and it came time to do, that, do like step three, it was like, well, there was another decision that I could make. And um, that if I was good enough for this power behind the word God, um, maybe I'm good enough to, you know, to start pursuing my highest best. Maybe I'm good enough to do that. I went through this inventory process and, you know, at the onset, it was like, yay, I finally get to tell what you did to me. <laughs> And it flips the script, you know, it starts off with me being as petty as I can be and talking about how people uh, have misused me and abused me, blah, 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 blah. And um, there's a part in the inventory that says, now these are about to be cast out. And that's part of that decision of turning my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. And I don't believe that that means as I comprehend God, I believe it's like, an insurance company is underwritten by different agents. And I believe it means understood like that. Like I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be available to pursue what I believe this power man, the word God wants me to do. And um, um, I, I, my, my whole idea of God has changed. I think the God that brought me here is not the same God or has, let's say, evolved into something different. Um, you know, and then the book talks about after the fifth step, it talks about um, knowing the truth. You know, uh, we thank God that we, wow. Okay. We can leave it to alcoholics to get like a mic from like Radio Shack. This is great. This <laughs> is made by Nabisco. This is great. This is, okay. I think I got it. All right. Do I have it? Okay. I, I know. If you guys can't see me, I'm holding the cord with my left hand. 
But it says, you know, that we thank God from the bottom of our hearts that we know him better. And what I really knew better was that I had been wrong in a lot of my judgments and uh, that I had made about my life, about other people's life. In fact, when you work the inventory backwards, I see how my being a selfish, dishonest, uh, self-seeking and inconsiderate creates all these resentments and creates these fears. And I didn't know this stuff. Yeah. I just thought I was unfortunate. Um, I um, fear was a big deal with me. Uh, I had become so separated from things that I that I wanted to be, and, and the guy that I wanted to be, um, the father that I wanted to be, um, a mate that I would want to be, a brother in every aspect of my life. I'd become so disappointed in me that I was almost, not almost, but I was embarrassed to even dream those dreams of like being involved in those areas without feeling ashamed of myself by myself. I thought like, I can never do that. I can't have those things. And um, I don't know, I, I love reading this book because the more I read it, the more it opens up to me and, um, and it invites me to, not to carry like my experiences with me as a definition for this is why I'm so screwed up. It invites me to carry the vision of God's will into all my activities and thinking is one of those activities. And, uh, and it wasn't just gonna happen just because I wanted it. I had to, I had to learn how to do some things to, um, to counteract this really contaminated thinking I have. And it wasn't thinking about my thinking. <laughs> That wasn't gonna help, you know. But like, well, maybe if I sit down and think about how much I think about me, this will, this will help. And it's not. <laughs> you know, this book suggests action, and it suggests that I be of service, and as a byproduct of trying to find places where I can do things for people, and um, and just engage people, and try to make the path that that I'm on as I cross other people, trying to make it better. You know, I mean, it's not like I'm going to build another Empire State Building or anything like that, but I can smile at somebody, make eye contact, and say hello. And the more I do that, um, the less separation I feel. The more at home I feel with making eye contact with somebody and feeling like I have something to offer. Um, um, picking up trash <laughs> in my neighborhood, you know, without trying to get recognized or answering, why are you doing that? just doing it because it needs to be done and it looks better. And I get to experience a greater value in me because I'm doing something that contributes. You know? um, and that affects my thinking because I start to think different of me. I start to see how I can bring stuff. You know? <clears throat> I was, uh, I, was uh, I, I, I go to the Canyon Club in Laguna. I want to make it my home group. Thank you. I didn't know you'd say that right on if I said I'm gonna. <laughs> I had, um, I had most of the meetings that I had done had been um, with a group out of Dallas, Texas called the uh, Primary Purpose Group. And it's a real literature based meeting. And I'm really grateful for them because uh, they gave me a foundation in this book about Alcoholics Anonymous. But um, by way of like telemeetings, and there weren't even Zoom meetings, they were just telemeetings. 
um, I really got better at being alone than I ever wanted to be. And, uh, and I needed to, um, I needed to be around some people. I needed to be around the people that had higher, maybe higher thinking than I would employ on a regular basis. And I started going to the, going to the club and I met some really, really beautiful people there. Um, Brent, who is now my sponsor, I met there and, um, um, it's been a journey, you know, um, I, uh, I work in, I work in entertainment and I like the concept of people, but like mixing with people, not so much, you know, <laughs> and I'm learning to, um, to meet people and, and I don't have to perform for people to feel okay. Uh, you know, that was one of my things. I, I was always small, so it was either keep getting your ass whipped or, or develop a sense of humor. So I got, I got jokes. <laughs> Don't hit me, I got jokes. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and I ended up turning that into a profession. And, uh, and it got really, really empty because um, there I was again, and the book talks about the alcoholic leading a double life. You know, I had this on one hand, uh, this profession, and, and and I've been blessed. I've been traveling all over the world, and I've been with a lot of great people and all that good stuff. But inside, I didn't feel like I deserved it. And um, and I remember going from being like like the sixth highest paid male entertainer in Las Vegas to walking the streets looking for cigarette butts to smoke. And that sounds horrible, but at the time that I was doing it, I felt really cool because my insights. And my outsides matched. And I think all of us, uh, I think, I don't know about all of us, but I know I look for continuity. It's not confusing. My life matches them. And um, um, I heard a guy describe it as rolling a grenade into my life when things just start going well. And for some odd reason, like, you know, the book says he gets tight exactly the wrong moment, you know what I'm saying? Where I could like, snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. I can just say that knack for that. And, um, and it's because even when I stop drinking, if I'm not working on me, is this microphone sliding down? Cause I have to keep spreading my legs. <laughs> well, um, if I'm not doing that work inside of me, then I'll still feel uneasy, you know? Um, I'll still feel undone, and um, and I, I can't take much of that. I can't take much of that. I uh, I've wanted to commit suicide. Of Justin, all right. <laughs> you know what? I'm a, I'm gonna buy you guys a microphone. Is what I'm gonna do. Okay. I wanted to. Um, uh, I have a fear in my life. And um, and fear of what it would what it would look like if I couldn't, what it would look like if I failed. What would you think of me if I wasn't successful? Would I be likable? Would I be worthy of somebody loving me if, if I didn't have this real fantastic life? And I always dreamed of having a fantastic life, <clears throat> but the fear starting was just too much. And um, and I would always go back. And I believe that this book talks about that. Um, in the chapter of vision for you, and it talks about people becoming um, 
integral parts of their society, their family, their cities, their communities. Um, it talks about uh, people becoming respectable and um, and doing things that they're that they want to do. And I believe this program is all about that. I think that when the book tells us about this unsuspected inner resource, I think it speaks of God that's in every one of us, which makes each of us an individual expression of this power behind the word God. And like everything else in the universe, everything living contributes something, I think. We all are acts of God, and as such, we have something inside of each and every one of us that wants to come forward. And, um, and if I don't do me, <laughs> I'll never be done. I'll always be looking for something outside myself to make me feel whole. And eventually, it will be alcohol, drugs, and the like. You know, those things that, uh, that keep drawing at me when I'm not being authentic. I don't know that, um, <clears throat> I don't know that perfection is actually a reasonable term uh, because there's no other model for me. There's no other model for you. We're all individuals and there's never been another me before me. There'll never be another me after me. So this is as good as this shit gets. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what God's working with, you know. <laughs> this is what He's working with, and uh, and He's dealing with it. Now it's my turn. <laughs> you just accept me. Um, I um, I don't say this to boast, but I had an awesome experience um, recently. Uh, witnessing some children going and watching whales for the first time. And I got to see like the wonder of these kids' faces. And, uh, and some friends of mine helped me pull this off. We did this. <clears throat> and, um, and it's cool to, for a guy like me who, who has brought so much disappointment and stuff like that, and even disappointed myself, it's cool to sit and watch and see somebody genuinely have a good time. Um, not because they're paying to hear jokes or hear music, but because they're really enjoying the life that they're in. And it doesn't really have a price tag on it. <clears throat> to be a part of that is a really, really, really good feeling. And, um, and to be able to do things like that, to see how there are things that I can do to give and that there are people that are willing to jump in and help me do this. And in doing it with other people, it's just, I don't know, it's that fellowship that I always want to be a part of. Because it's in the spirit of bringing something forward. Uh, when the book talks about we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit, it's not necessarily the socialization of the problem. Yeah, I used to drink and I used to think, well, we don't know how to do that. I know I know how to do that. But what I didn't know how to do is live. I, uh, I often wanted to commit suicide, and it wasn't because I really wanted to die. Um, in fact, suicide was a dilemma because I don't like heights, I don't like loud noises, and I don't like pain. So, <laughs> so I used to sit and try to think of a way to like kill myself, yet have it be a surprise. So, <laughs> I could just like wake up and I'm dead. <laughs> I never came up with anything. Um, and it wasn't so much that I wanted to die. Uh, 
It was just that the pain of the life I was living was so intense that suicide seemed like the only feasible defense for my existence. Kind of backwards, but uh, maybe if you're a real alcoholic, you know what I'm talking about. I was um, not so much afraid of dying as I was horrified by living and, uh, and horrified by the thought of having a lifespan, which I just survived and I never lived. And I never left a fingerprint here of um, something that I gave that affected somebody else. Um, never added anything, took a lot of stuff. I love, um, one of my favorite portions of the book is a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little, and that, that means me, about myself. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation, which encourages me to sit and be quiet and be still and spend time with this power behind our God. What I can do each day for the man who still sit. So I have a value. I have something I can add. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. My relationship, not a religion, but that I have an intimate relationship with this power man that we God. And great events will come to pass. <laughs> For a person like me who has tried to take everything to make myself feel okay, and at best temporarily, um, to have the opportunity to give is a great event. You know, abandon yourself to God. When I read the 12th tradition, it talks about anonymity as a spiritual foundation of all of our traditions. And to me, that means that I need to get away from everything I think about myself, everything about my experience, everything about the things that separate me from you, whether it be being male, African-American, whatever my political standings may be or not, or religion or not, and pay attention to the spirit inside of me and maybe what it wants to demonstrate through me. And, uh, and don't be the one that I let tell me no. Because I'm that guy, I'm that guy that, there's a joke about a guy who runs out of gas and he sees his farmhouse and he's walking to the farmhouse with this gas can. And as he gets closer, he's going, oh, I'm just going to make them open the door in the middle of the night and go take me to get gas. They're probably not going to do it. And he keeps giving himself a negative self-talk. By the time he gets to the door, reads the, the bell, they open the door and he goes, fuck you, I wouldn't take your gas if you gave it to me. And, and, and that's the relationship I have. I can have with me, you know, whatever says that, that, I, that I'm selfish and self-centered. It doesn't mean that I just think about having the last piece of pizza that I didn't pay for. It means that I only think from this limited idea of me based on my experiences and these judgments and things that I've adopted since I was like a kid that I probably outgrown, but I just need to be right about something. And... Um, if I can let go of those, abandon myself to this idea of abandon with God, great events happen. You know, in the fellowship of the spirit that it talks about to me is being around people who are like-minded, who can see past our histories, past our circumstances, and, uh, and encourage each other to, to be the highest 
to be the highest version of ourselves that we can be. Because we have a consciousness and it's not the content of the society or the world that we live in, you know, it's not the content of that. It's this consciousness that can be my story today going forward. Ah. We shall be with you in the following of the spirit. You will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny, which means I have a destiny. And before that, trudging means walking with a purpose. I have a purpose today. And uh, it's to stay sober and to carry this message of Alcoholics Anonymous to whosoever will. Um, I'm glad I had a chance to be with you guys tonight. My name is Doug. Thank you for coming. Sure.